our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 24. So last week we started looking at the will of God, and we saw that God does have a will. He has a general will for all, right? What is his general will for all mankind? Okay. Then we saw once a Christian is once one becomes a Christian, once one is born again, God has a general will for all Christians. What are some of the aspects of the general will of God for all Christians? Faithfulness, to be transformed in the image of Christ, giving thanks, being a witness. These are examples of God's general will for all Christians. Now, we said God does have a specific will for us, right? Do you believe that? Here in Genesis 24, we are given an example of Abraham, Abraham's servant, and the whole account shows very clearly that Abraham believed and the servant believed that God had a very specific will in the servant finding the wife for Isaac. And so let's look here in Genesis chapter 24, and I'll start reading at verse 1. And then we're going to go through and we're going to look at several principles and how this shows the specific will of God and how this servant was seeking the specific will of God. Genesis 24, verse 1, And Abraham was old and well stricken in, in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that rolled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not go take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me into this land. Must I needs bring thy son again into the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord of heaven, which took me in my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, which spake unto me, that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear of the, from this mine oath. Only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swear unto him concerning that matter. So let's ask the Lord for his guidance, please. Father, I pray again that you give us wisdom and understanding as we go through this passage and try to pull out the principles that we can apply to knowing your will in our lives. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at some of the principles that we can have for knowing the will of God. And then at the end, if we have time, discuss some of the principles specifically for finding a spouse. Discussing, it is amazing, this list of credentials somehow in Christian homes, boys and girls come up with of their future spouse that there is not a person on earth that could possibly ever meet all those credentials. I am very thankful that my in-laws didn't have Susan have such a list of credentials because I wouldn't be married to her now. 
Well, principles for knowing the will of God. First of all, this servant was faithful and trustworthy. If we want to be able to know God's will, we want to follow God's will, we need to be trustworthy and faithful doing what we know God wants us to do today, right? Do what you know is the will of God today so that he can lead you tomorrow. And we see that Abraham was old. In verse 2, Abraham said in his eldest servant of his house that rolled over all he had, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. So he was over all that Abraham had. Now, I promise you, Abraham was smart enough. He didn't pick the laziest guy to be over everything. He picked the best servant he had. This guy was trustworthy. He was faithful to what he was called to do. As a matter of fact, it's interesting to me how that this servant, in getting these instructions from Abraham, starts asking very specific questions, questions that he needs to know before he goes and takes this journey. What if she won't come back? Am I supposed to come get Isaac and take him there? No. So we need to be trustworthy and faithful. Second of all, there needs to be separation. We see separation here in verses 3 through 6 in several ways. First of all, he was separated to the task. Abraham picked this particular servant. Why? Because he was faithful and trustworthy. And this guy was set aside that this is now the task I have for you. Understand that this was not going to be just a simple drive, a two-hour drive or a 10-hour drive. It's going to be a long journey going from the promised land all the way back up to um, the Erda Chaldees area where Abraham's from. And you remember how the Fertile Crescent is around that area, how long a, a, of a trip that would be on going by animal and taking a team of people with him and all the gear he needed and everything else for this trip. It was going to be quite an extensive journey. But Abraham says in verse 3, talking about separation, he says, promise me, swear to me, that you're not going to take a wife from the son of my daughter, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Abraham understood that he had, God had called him to be a unique people, and he was not to mingle with these Canaanites. Now, isn't it interesting, even when Abraham is in the land, he's not to be intermarrying with these Canaanites, yet later, when they, are, when they have become a nation, they come in, what do we find the nation of Israel doing? Man are marrying with the Canaanites, not staying separated. And what did that end up resulting in? Their hearts being turned away from God and ultimately judgment, yes. Christian, you and I need to understand the importance of separation from the world. We become so desensitized to sin, being exposed to it on a regular basis. We need to be careful. You know, we've said many times, and it is true, that is how the world seems to win, by constantly putting it in front of you. You know, I heard on uh, Monday night when we were at the God and Country Christian Alliance, Mike was talking, and he's saying about how some of the things they're trying to make normal today, 20, 30 years ago, would have never even been talked about. I remember as a teenage boy, if you found out, or if somebody even acted, you know, if a, if a guy, another guy acted effeminate, we guys would make fun of him. Now, I'm not saying it was right, but the idea was, that is so abnormal, 
You, you know what I'm saying? And then if you ever found out that there were two guys who liked each other, you, you were appalled by it. It was disgusting. It's like, no way. But they keep it in front of us to where this now becoming accepted in some so-called churches. And others are starting to question, well, should we? Should it be okay? Should it be all right? No, it's still sin. It amazes me the lengths that the left is going to since Roe versus Wade has been overturned to get back their constitutional right to an abortion. So the servant is given very clear instructions. This girl is to be from my country, my kindred, not from the world. He was not to be unequally yoked with the world. 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? I believe there are several applications of this. Now, you are going to work in the everyday world and rubbing shoulders with lost people. I don't believe that's what it's talking about. You are going to come in contact with lost people when you go shopping, when you go out to dinner, when you wash your car, whatever you're doing, when you go out and about, during your daily business, you're going to come in contact with lost people, and we need to have that contact because we are to be the salt and light of this world. But I'll tell you one thing, if I were going to start a business, I would want my business partner to be a Christian, wouldn't you? I'm not going to go look into the world for a business partner. And in marriage, especially, we are not to be unequally yoked. It bothers me how many young people, and I've had it happen right here at this church numerous times, well, I'm hoping that he'll get saved. I'm hoping I'll be a good example. I said, how about he gets saved first, and then you start dating? Well, pastor, you don't understand. You're, you're right. I don't understand. Why are you deliberately disobeying God? I don't understand that. And I've had young people get mad at me. But I confront them and I tell them. Because, not because I'm trying to be mean. Because I love them enough to tell them the truth. Verse 7. And the Lord of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, which spake unto me, that swear unto me, saying, Of thy seed will I give this land, he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. Abraham was trusting what God had told him. God had told him, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. He had told Abraham to, not be, to be separated from the people among whom he lived. Abraham was trusting God and God's word. And let me tell you something. You want to know the will of God for your life, you have to have a complete confidence in the word of God. God's will will never contradict his word. God's will will never contradict his word. We've all talked to individuals who will say, well, I believe this is God's will. I got a peace about it. Listen, I don't know where your peace comes from, but it's not of God if it's contradicting the word of God. I love Abraham's confidence. He says, he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. That's confidence. How did Abraham develop such a confidence in God? How is it Abraham could trust God like that? 
because he had seen God work on his behalf before, and he was faithful to God, and he, as he served God faithfully, God continued to fulfill his promises, and he saw God working, and I forget exactly how you worded it, but I'm trying to sum it up. And anyhow, it helped develop or grow his faith. How many times has God worked in your life? Then why should you doubt? We need to have our faith increased. Also, verse 7, not only did he rely on God's word, but he relied on God's direction. He says, he will send his angel before thee. You know, God already knows the outcome of the circumstances before it ever happens, right? God already has everything under control. And Abraham has this confidence that God is going to send his angel before the servant and everything's going to work out just fine. Here the servant is asking all these questions. I don't believe because he's fretting, but because he wants to make sure that he carries this through very carefully, very meticulously, according to the plan that Abraham sets before him. But what amazes me is the confidence of Abraham sitting there telling the servant, this is how it's going to happen. Verse 8. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear of this mine oath, only bring not my son thither again. If by chance, now he says, it's going to happen, but if by chance, since you asked the question for clarity, if it happens, which he doesn't believe it will, understand, then you are clear of this mine oath. Do not take my son back there again. Which shows Abraham was not willing to compromise his standards. Now, God had promised there's going to be a great nation through Isaac. Isaac needs a wife for that to happen, right? God, Abraham knows that he's not to take a wife for Isaac from the Canaanites. He knows it's supposed to be from his own country, his own kindred. Okay, so he knows this. Then why wouldn't that give him the confidence to believe that it's going to happen? But just in case, Mr. Servant, since you asked you'll be clear. I believe Abraham said that for the comfort of the servant, knowing, but that can't happen. Verse 9, And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning that matter. He was committed. He took the task seriously, and he was willing to work. Verses 10 and 11, The servant took ten camels, the camels of his master, and departed for all the goods of his master were in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia and the city of Nahor, and he made his camels to kneel down without the city by the well of water at the time of evening, even the time when women go out to draw water. He was willing to work while he was waiting. Ten camels. I don't think I've ever ridden a camel, ridden an elephant, ridden a horse, but I don't ever remember riding a camel. Ten of them. As I said, carrying all the gifts, all the gear, all the everything, all the provisions he's going to need for this trip. But it doesn't mean that he had, he was sitting on one camel leading nine behind him. He had other men with him in this party going. Because understand, as they're traveling, okay, each night they would have to set up camp, which would include, you know, if there's not a town around to go to, a lodge or whatever they would have to set up camp which probably was most of the time they would have to make their food they would have to do all those things right and you would have to have you know change of attire a way to wash your clothes and everything else along the trip i mean i want you to think about 
this was not a small task. I also believe when you look at the climate of the land, this wasn't a nice trip on a fall day. It would have been hot, more than likely. Very hot. Why? Because the area, from my understanding, gets quite hot. But he didn't quit. So he's working while he's waiting. Then let's go to verse 12. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. You know, one of the most important things in seeking the will of God, and this servant understood it, was take time to pray. And I love his prayer. I pray thee, send good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. His prayer wasn't about himself. His prayer was praying for his master. Lord, my master sent me on this, and I want this to be prosperous, not for my sake, but for my master's sake. That's a good servant, isn't it? You know, if we desire, Lord, I want my way to be prosperous, not for my sake, but for yours, because he is the master, right? Don't you think he wants to guide you in that path? Of course he does. But then 13 and 14, Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of men come out to draw water, and let it come to pass, the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink, and she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that has appoint, uh, thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast shown kindness unto my master. As he's praying, he asks for a very specific direction. He gives a very particular request. Now, this was a very unusual request. Understand, to draw the water, she didn't have to go turn the spigot on. Nope, it was much harder than that. As a matter of fact, it wasn't even one of those hand pumps. Nope, it was harder than that. It was not even putting down a bucket and reeling the bucket back up. But the wells of that region... When they dug the well, they had a, like a stairwell inside it, and you walked all the way down, get your water, walk all the way back up, and then you... Now, she says, I'm not only going to give you drink, but I'm going to give your camels drink. Now, there's 10 camels. I don't know how much water a camel drinks, but I do know this. They say that hump on the back of the camel is their little camelback water storage. 30 gallons a camel. Thank you. That's 300 gallons of water to fill up 10 of these things. That's a lot of water. I don't care if you're a big, strong guy. It's going to wear you out running up and down that well, taking out 300 gallons of water. Now, let's say they're only half full. That's still 150 gallons of water. That's still a lot plus what he and his men want. That's an unusual request, not a normal thing. But let's stop for a moment and evaluate. Why would he ask such a request? I'm going to grab the microphone. Why would he ask such a request? What questions will this answer for him? Her character, how would answer that? Yeah, pretty industrious to be able to go fetch it. We'll just go conservative 150 gallons of water. That's a lot of water. Okay? Ed? Concern for others. 
concern for others. She knows this is a traveler, and she knows he's thirsty, and she knows his animals would be thirsty too because they just came out of the desert land, right? That would, that would be a concern for others. How else? What else is he learning about her from this one question? Glad I got this microphone. We're using it a lot. Initiative. That she wasn't lazy. She's going to take the initiative to offer, not wait to be asked, but offer to give more. Amazing. Okay. These are several things we learn just from this one question. Now, the next thing is letter J in my outline is allow God to answer the request. Do not manufacture the circumstances. Verse 15. And it came to pass before he had done speaking, behold, Rebekah came out, who was born of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher in her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, let me, I pray thee, drink a little water out of thy pitcher. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she hasted, let down her pitcher in her hand and gave him to drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. You see, here's sometimes what we do. We pray for something specific. And I think that's a biblical example. He prayed something very specifically. But then what we try to do to help God out is we try to manufacture the circumstances so that that's how the prayer will be answered. You follow what I'm saying? You ever find yourself guilty of that, trying to help God out a little bit, manufacture those circumstances? Oh, look, it happened that way. What do you know? Well, you got to be careful. We need to be careful. We do not manufacture the circumstances to make it happen that way. The servant prayed the prayer. Then she comes out. And he asked the very question that he said he was going to ask her, and she gives the very answer that he asked God to have her say, without him hinting. You know, I, I mean, he's not like he's sitting there thinking as he's drinking, you know, mm, boy, I bet my camels are thirsty. You know, that's not the way he's doing this. He's not trying to throw hints at her to get her to say something. He's letting God answer the prayer. So if you're going to pray something specifically, then be careful to allow God to answer the prayer without manufacturing it. Verse 21, And the man wondering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. I love this part because he prayed a very specific prayer. Rebecca comes, right? She says the very thing, and then it says he wondered and held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. See, here's the problem. Sometimes you and I are very quick to jump to conclusions. It happened just the way I prayed it. That must be God's will. Well, there's several things he doesn't know yet. And so he needs to test the circumstances and make sure that this is really so. Now, he's heading a direction... He's prayed. It appears God is leading this direction. But you know what I really appreciate about this servant? He doesn't jump to conclusions. He verifies before he makes the conclusion. He needed to still know what family she was from. So, verse 22, And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hand, a ten shekels weight of gold, 
and said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is a room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she, swear unto, which she bare unto Nahor. She said, Moreover unto him, We have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. And the man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. So, he inquires until he has all the facts. He inquires and asks her, whose family are you from? Because was he not given very specific instructions from Abraham to go to my country, my kindred? Okay, now, she had already passed this first test, if you will, of providing all the water, but... What if she's not of the right family? Does he say, well, you know what? You're good enough. Let's go. No, because the specific instructions given to him by Abraham was of my kindred. Now, let me stop for a minute. You may say, well, this is great. And it really helped that guy because Abraham gave him all those specific instructions. But God doesn't give us specific instructions like that anymore. Folks, he has still given us his word. And God still works. As we study his word, he teaches us through his word. Do you believe that? All right, let's move on. So then verses 26, 27, the man bowed and worshiped God, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I, being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. He praises God. Do we stop and praise God for his leading? He says, I being in the way, the Lord led me. You want God's leading? Be in the way. Not in the way of everything. Not in the way of others. That's not what it's meaning. In the way in which he wants you to go. Be on the path that he wants you to be on, and he can lead you from there. But let me ask a question. If you're not even on the right path, how do you expect him to lead you? If your feet aren't pointed in the right direction, how do you expect them to lead you? That's why I say, do what you know you're supposed to do. Do it faithfully, do it trustworthily, and he can lead you. But be where you know you're supposed to be. Then we go down to verse 31. And he said, come in, blessed of the Lord, wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house and room for the camels. And the man came into the house, and he ungirded his camels, and gave straw and provender to the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the men's feet that were with him. And there was set meat before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told my errand. And he said, speak on. By the way, God will continue to meet your needs. You know, they had been traveling for quite some time. Now they're able to have this straw and provender for the animals, and he's able to have a good night's sleep and a good home and a bed. Totally different than traveling and camping every night, right? Must have been a nice, relaxing moment for him. But instead of falling at ease, when they're about ready to eat, he says, I can't because my job's not done yet. This is a faithful guy, isn't it? But we need to be careful not to get sidetracked. Only here, not only here, but if we go down to verses 54. And they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him. And they tarried all night. And they rose up in the morning. And he said, send me away to my master. And her brother and her mother said, let the damsel bide with us a few days, at least ten. After that she shall go. And he said unto them, hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, we will call the damsel and acquire her mouth. 
this guy would not get sidetracked. First of all, he wouldn't eat until he had told him why he was there, because he wanted to make sure that this was God's leading. His whole focus is on accomplishing the mission that he was sent to do. But then, the next morning, as typical mama, and typical daddy, and typical brother, and typical everybody else, ah, just sit here and relax a few days. You got a little more time. I mean, come on, that's a long journey back. You could use the relaxation, and it gives us some time to say goodbye, and blah, 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 blah. You know, one of the worst times of my wife and my life was when I was supposed to go on a deployment. And I go over, we say our goodbyes, she drops me off, we get on the aircraft, we had a problem, so we taxi back over, they're working on the aircraft all day, come four o'clock, they're like, we're not going to get it fixed today, come back tomorrow. So I go home, and she's like, what are you doing here? Well, we didn't leave today. When are you leaving? Tomorrow morning. So tomorrow morning, we go through the whole thing all over again. The aircraft's still not fixed. Just hold on. I think we'll have it fixed by noon. Noon comes, noon goes, parts still aren't in. We had those problems back then, even before all the supply chain issues. Come home at 1600. And she's like, what are you doing home? This went on for a week. At the end of the week, she's like, I can't handle this. And every single day, I say goodbye to you. Then you turn around and you come home at night. She says, just, I wish they would just go. (laughs) Well, 24 hours later, I call her from Rota, Spain, and then she bawls because she goes, oh, you actually left. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a whole lot better than saying goodbye day after day after day after day. And you know what? I believe the servant knew that that was going to be a problem. And he goes, I'm not going to deal with that. I got a a mission. We got to get it accomplished. And it's time to go. And he says, don't hinder me. My master's waiting. Remember, he couldn't pick up his cell phone and call Abraham and say, hey, founder, we'll be back in a couple months, a couple weeks, whatever it took to travel. No, Abraham's sitting there waiting, and he has no news of what's going on. Again, this servant's concern is more for his master. Another principle that we can apply in seeking the will of God comes from verse 50. Verse 50 then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go and let her be thy, master, thy master's son's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. Others will recognize the Lord's leading. The servant was very specific in asking instructions from Abraham. He was very specific in following those instructions, seeking God's will when he got there, verifying that this was truly the girl, not being sidetracked until he accomplished it. But you notice the family even recognized after he spelled out the whole thing, they said, this is from God. And let me tell you something. I have noticed in my life when I'm following the will of God, Others notice it's the will of God. I've had people come to me for counsel and say, am I truly in the will of God? Well, I don't know. I can't, I'm not, you know. But I'll tell you what, it's, it many times it's obvious. You can see God leading in a direction for an individual. That goes with the multitude of counselors. And we'll talk more about that, not tonight, but in a later message. 
But parents should recognize God's leading for their children. Way too many young people, oh, mom and dad, you don't understand, you're so old-fashioned, blah, 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 blah. You know, I wish there were young people here because I'd remind them again. Mom and dad have been down the road already. We were young once. We understand. Older, wiser Christians, hopefully your pastor and, and spiritual leadership will be able to recognize God's leading. But let's look at a few quick principles also from this passage to apply for finding a spouse, and maybe you could use these to help somebody else sometime. But first of all, a saved individual, not from the world. Going back to the beginning of the chapter, in verses 3 and 4, she was to be of his family, not of the Canaanites. We could apply that to not of the world, but it needs to be a believer. Look for the character, not the outward appearance. Again, verses 13 and 14, and I asked you these questions, and you said this. She was a hard worker. She respected her elders. She met the needs of others. Her, her, appearance, is not, her appearance is mentioned in verse 16. It does say that she was fair to look upon. But, you know, it's almost like a side note compared to what you see about her character. Because her inward beauty is so wonderful when you see this young lady who is so willing to serve others, such an industrious young lady. That's the character you need to be looking for in a spouse. Because I promise you the exterior is going to fade. Allow God to bring you together. The whole set of circumstances was orchestrated by God. It wasn't this modern philosophy of shopping around all this nonsense that people do it was something orchestrated by god i don't understand these 15 16 year olds that say i'm going to start dating i ask them straight up oh you're ready to get married no why well, what's the purpose of dating well just to shop around just to be with somebody i said no it's not the purpose is to find a mate. So unless you're ready to find a mate, you're not ready to date. Oh, pastor, you're so old-fashioned. Love is a choice, not a feeling. You know, Isaac never saw her before he, she was brought to him. I think sometimes we would do well to go back to the old days of dad picked the bride but, you know, I can't get any of the young ladies to buy into that. However, even if dads aren't picking the bride or picking the groom and the bride putting them together anymore, parents still need to be involved. That, I do believe, still applies today. Just as this servant went and asked her family, because that was proper, so young men still need to ask a father if he has permission to date his daughter. I still believe that's proper. I know many in society say, that's just the old way of doing it. Well, let me ask a question. Under whose authority is that young lady? Daddy and mama. You know, even Shannon being moved out of the house, I still have a responsibility to my daughter until I transfer that authority to another man. Right? Because in seeking the will of God, we all need to realize it's God. It's all about God. And it's His leading. 
And so we need to follow his way, his will. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how somebody can read Genesis chapter 24 and see all those principles that I just pointed out to you tonight and come to the conclusion God doesn't have a specific will for individuals. That just seems totally illogical to me because that whole chapter is chock full of principles that apply to finding and seeking and knowing the will of God, is it not? So take these principles and apply them to your life in knowing and seeking and finding the will of God for your life. You see, the will of God is not something he's trying to hide from you. If it's his will for you, he desires for you to know that will so you can accomplish it. And we overcomplicate understanding the will of God. Now, Lord willing, in the next couple weeks, maybe even next week, I'm going to take and break down then seven pointers to the will of God. Seven ways in which we can, if these things are pointing all in the same direction, we can be assured that this would be the direction I need to continue to head. But even as we follow that, we need to do as the servant did, even when everything was pointing in that direction, he never just presumed that this is the way I need to continue. He kept verifying it as he kept going. And so it is with you and I, because you know what? For those of us that served in the military, we were given an orders to go to a certain place, but those orders were not forever. There came a time when they gave you new orders and said, now it's time to do something different. Well, why cannot our commander-in-chief, if you will, in God's army, do the same thing? And so as we are following his will, we need to continue to make sure we're still in his will because sometimes he may say, okay, you're done that. Now I need you to do this. And then you know what we do? We shift gears, we go over here, and we do this. Until he says, you're done doing this, now it's time to move on and do this. We overcomplicate it. I think I said last week, but I'm going to repeat it, and then I'll let you go. We have this strange concept that once God calls you to do one thing, that's what you're going to do the rest of your life. Especially those in ministry. That's not necessarily so. I know some people who were in ministry who are not now, or their ministry changed. How many know Dr. Russell Bell? Okay, one, two, three. He preached many years here in Eastern Carolina, I think in Hendersonville. He was a pastor for many years, and then God led him to evangelism. He's a good evangelist. You know, I've heard people say pastors can never be evangelists. You know what? Says who? But now he's faithfully ministering to mostly small churches here in Eastern Carolina. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer.